Today we have Nick Flewellen on the show. If you're interested in multifamily investments, you won't want to miss this interview. Nick Flewellen is one of the top Marcus Millichap multifamily brokers in the DFW area. He's seen a lot of changes over the years, and he remains bullish on multifamily investments. In addition to brokering deals, he puts his own money in multifamily investments. He's a GP in 12 deals and a passive investor in close to 50 deals. Here, Nick talk about rising interest rates with lower proceeds, higher property taxes and insurance, and how they're impacting the market today. He also talks about agency debt versus bridge debt, the cost of interest rate caps in today's market, and how to develop relationships with brokers. And especially for him, the value of being a part of a 2,500 Marcus and Millichap agent network in the U.S. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Nick Flewellen before we start the show. Nick lives in the DFW area with his family. He's been in the multifamily brokerage business with Marcus Millichap for close to 20 years. He's seen a lot of deals trade over the years, and he's learned a great deal over that time frame. He loves people. He values building relationships and watching his people grow in the industry. He's seen the market shift quickly recently with rising interest rates, yet he remains bullish on the industry. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Nick Flewellen. Nick, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how I know Nick. Um, my first syndication deal actually was a 76-unit townhome community in uh, about 20 minutes south of Fort Worth in a town called Crowley in the DFW area. And uh, there was an individual that worked for Nick, Trey Caldwell. He was he was one of the salespeople working in Nick's group. And he, I bought that deal from them. And um, three plus years later, I came back to Nick and said, can you sell it for us? And, and he did an amazing job. We had an amazing return for our investors. And um, I'm going to miss that property, but I'm so glad for what you guys did for both bringing the deal to me, um, helping me along the way, and also, you know, finding a good buyer to come and take it to the next level. So with that, um, I typically ask how many properties and how many units you're invested in, but Nick is the first broker that I'm bringing on the show, and he is one of the top brokers in the DFW area. So maybe share one 
what's the size of the the deals that you guys do, you know, in ter- total volume. And then I know that you also invest in multifamily. So maybe share a little bit about, you know, where you're invested as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I'm, I'm quite sure, first of all, you're going to miss that deal. That was a, uh, it was a really, really great asset. Y'all did a, an amazing job with that one. And so it's, uh, it's always uh, rewarding when you uh, sell somebody a deal and you get to turn around three years later and make them and, and their investors uh, happy with uh, with a great sale on the back end. So congratulations on that. Thank you well, for the trust. Thank you, you for in. being part of the team. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, it was uh, it was our pleasure for sure. And uh, I think that's it's going to be a good one for the next guy. And then that's that's what it's all about. Absolutely. You know, keeping it keeping it going. So um, I have been with uh, Marcus and Millichap since 2004, uh, straight out of grad school. Um, I uh, was hired here. And uh, it's just been a really uh, amazing uh, time and a, an amazing experience. And, um, you know, back, uh, back then, you know, any and every deal we'd get our hands on, we were, we were working on, right? So we'd do a 10-unit, a 16-unit, a 40-unit. I, I can remember the first 100-plus unit deal I did was a 138-unit deal, uh, which I've, I've since sold a few times. Um, and, and so, um, you know, back then a, a big deal was maybe four or 5 million bucks. And, uh, now it's, it's pretty rare that we, we have anything, you know, under 10 or 15 million. So, um, I would say with where the market's gone and, and where our team has gone over the years on a normal year at this point, we, we would probably uh, do a billion dollars in, in multifamily transactions. Um, I think that's crazy. It, it, One billion per year. Yeah. It's, uh, in the last few years, it's, it's been at least that. Um, but again, you know, the first 10 years, um, you know, when values were much lower than what they are today, you know, uh, I mean, that number is, is compounding uh, pretty significantly over these last few years. And so used to be, we do maybe 30 deals a year. Well, start, maybe we do, you know, 15, 20 deals a year. Um, then we're kind of getting into the mid thirties. Um, I, I think as of right now today, you know, which we're in May, um, I think we have 93 deals that have either closed or in escrow, uh, or on the market, uh, you know, agreed to, uh, as of right now. Um, you know, and I think that that should, you know, be our pipeline through August. So, you know, overall, I think we've we've done right around six billion in multifamily deals, and that's you know six hundred plus transactions over the years. And so, uh, so it's been fun. It's it's been really neat to see. And I'll tell you one thing that's really interesting, and and hopefully serves as an encouragement for people that are buying right now that think, oh my goodness, I'm paying so much for some of these deals. You know, that first hundred plus unit deal. Uh, that, that I sold back in, I guess, 2005, um, that deal, you know, we sold last year it, it, in 2005, I think it was worth 32 a door, you know, last year when it's, you know, 16, 17 years older, uh, than it was back then, uh, was mid one forties a door. So, uh, I mean, I, I think that's what, you know, you see in DFW historically speaking, it, is that values are going to continue to rise. And with the in-migration um, and inflation and uh, the disconnect between, you know, the price to buy a home and the price to rent an apartment, uh, you know, you, you got to feel pretty good about uh, 
investing in multifamily right now. So, um, so we're, we're real uh, bullish on uh, the, the opportunities that this DFW market has. And then, you know, to your second uh, comment about investing in deals, um, you know, I think we obviously have a front row seat to, um, you know, seeing people like you that have, you know, buying deals and, and making money on the back end. And so obviously that's a, that's a great investment vehicle for people who are doing this day in and day out. So over the years, I think I've, I've GP'd 12 deals, uh, you know, myself, some solely by myself, some with clients, um, but, uh, and then I've passively invested in, I don't, you know, 50, 60 deals. I'm not sure exactly how many, uh, but it's, it's just an amazing That's crazy. Vehicle. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea that you were invested in that many deals. Right. And, so, and that says a lot about the asset class. If you're trading these things and brokering these deals time after time, that you, you're also investing your own personal money in these types of deals. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe in, I believe in the market and I believe in real estate as uh, an inflation hedge. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's even deals that, that I've been in that you're like, Oh, this one's kind of off to a rocky start or, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this is a harder deal to manage or had more deferred maintenance or, you know, all the issues that everybody always runs into, you know, you, you see that ultimately just having a good management team, a good operating partner, a good G GP, and uh, really just time on your side, you know, um, you, you're going to be taken care of if you can, you know, ride out the storms. And so, you know, fortunately, even the worst deals have, have been pretty dang good deals relative to what <laughs> uh, the other investment opportunities are out there right now. So it's, it's the place to be. Dallas-Fort Worth multifamily, or Texas multifamily for that matter, is, right. is, is certainly one of the best markets uh, to be in the country. feel very fortunate to, uh, to, to be in this market right now. Yeah, you're in the right place at the right time. But, but you know what? People say overnight success, right? You, I mean, you talked about it. Like in the beginning years, you had some, you know, the values were down and you were slugging it out and you were learning the business. Um, but, but now you're reaping the war, rewards. Um, but you mentioned Rocky Start. You know, I, and I would say that to the listeners, like, you know, I invested in a lot of different passive deals and I would have some people come to me and say, you know, wh what are your dogs? Like, who are the, who are the bad operators and good operators, you know? And I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not talking like that to, about anybody. Right. Right. And in my mind though, I'm picturing like one of these Rocky start deals, right? Like, oh, I've got this deal. That's like not, not going so well. A year later, that deal, I'm like, I start seeing some deals that are trading right around it. And I'm like, holy cow, we're sitting on a gold mine with this thing. And, and then sure enough, they turn around, the occupancy starts going back up. And it turned out to be a fantastic deal, more than double your money type deal. And had I told somebody that, you know, hey, look, watch out for the syndicator or this deal or whatever is bad, that those people would remember that you know, forever. And that's where you, you kind of have to, to ride some of these deals out. They don't all go up in a straight line. That's, yeah, that's right. And, and look, I mean, anybody who's ever syndicated a deal, it's like anything else that we do in life. You get better at it over time. You learn from your mistakes. Um, you, you, you know, hopefully uh, you're adjusting on the fly. You're seeing what's working, what's not working. 
you know, that could be staffing, that could be, you know, more macro level management, that could be the upgrades you're doing, that could be your advertising. And, and so, you know, that's the beauty of an, an investment in multifamily, though, is that there are so many levers that you can push and pull and affect how it's going versus being in a mutual fund or a stock or, or you know, right. a, a pre-IPO or, or something along those lines. You have no say, no control, and you're just, you know, your strategy is hope, hope and pray that it goes well. Here, <laughs> here at least you, 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 can, you can have a direct right. impact. And, and at the same time, most of those things that, that you're able to do on these properties are, are taking care of people and giving people a better place to, uh, you know, to live and a uh, better community to raise their, their kids in and, and all that. So it's, it's, it's a very rewarding business, um, and it's a, it's a rewarding uh, place to park some money and, and invest. Absolutely. Even the passives, like, look, you invest in stocks, you can't call the CEO, but you can call the, the general partner. You could call the sponsor on the deal. And yeah, you, you're not making the decision as a passive, but you could at least get insight as to whether the individual, you know, the person managing the deal seems to have a handle on, on the issues and how they're going to, um, and you could learn from how they're going to handle it. Yeah, I would, I, I would, I can't tell you how many times over the years that people that have been passives and other deals that we've sold have come back and become the, the, the main partner, you know, the lead GP, the lead sponsor on, you know, a deal later. Cause they, cause they, they went in with the idea of, Hey, I'm going to invest with this person and hopefully, you know, make a nice return on my money, but also educate myself on what they do well and, you know, um, learn from, from really good, uh, sponsors and, and operators. And so that, that's a, that's a win-win if you can make a nice return and then, you know, learn skills right. that, that are going to set you up to, to, to keep repeating that process and, and even, you know, growing, um, growing the, the pie even more. That's huge. So you were talking about your group, um, and kind of the deal volume and, and production levels. Um, you know, a lot of people know about Marcus and Melichap, but not everybody does, right? And Marcus and Melichap is is one of the predominant leaders in all of commercial real estate, not just multifamily across the country. So maybe talk a little bit about the company as a whole. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, I think that's uh, that's that's a great thing to uh, to highlight, and it's it's really the the reason I've. I've stayed with this firm for, for all these years. It's, um, we, first of all, we've got really spectacular leadership, uh, and, and a real, uh, entrepreneurial spirit about this firm. Um, the firm was founded in the early seventies in, uh, California. So our first several offices were in California. Our Dallas office was actually our sixth office to be opened. Um, and over the years, we, I think we're now at 85 to 90 offices. Marcus and Millichap uh, does not do any leasing, solely focused on investment sales. And so from an investment sales standpoint, we're the largest uh, broker uh, of commercial real estate in the country. And then, you know, have some, some offices in Canada as well. And so, uh, you know, there's probably 22 to 2,500 uh, agents uh, across the firm now. Um, and, uh, that one shows the the size uh, of of the firm, uh, but it also is is super important because we have something called MNet, which I think is uh, is just a, a spectacular tool 
and, and people will ask, well, hey, you know, give me something about Marcus and Millichap that, that would be an advantage for you guys. Aside from just, you know, hey, we like you, we like your team. But, but on a more macro level, give us something about Marcus and Millichap that, that, you know, would, would be a differentiator. Well, our MNET system is kind of like a proprietary MLS, if you will. And so if I'm a, um, a retail guy in uh, our California office or our Florida office or, um, you know, or at one of our New York offices, um, if I have a client that says, hey, you know, I'd like to look at apartments in Texas, those guys can literally go into our system, pull up all the available inventory, and immediately within five minutes have that at the fingertips of their clients. And so um, that all sounds good. What does that actually mean for a uh, prospective uh, seller? Um, it, it means that you know we are constantly bringing buyers into this market that nobody else would know, including us. I mean, I just sold a deal uh, in North Dallas um, to a guy that uh, one of our West Coast agents, who's a friend of mine, called and said, hey, I got a good client. I just sold this building out here. It was a small building, but he did really well on it. And he wants to, you know, park it into a larger uh, apartment deal in Texas. He doesn't know anything about apartments. He doesn't know any management companies. He doesn't know any debt sources, but he's in a 1031 exchange and would like to, you know, move, you know, his money over there. And so um, the guy flew out. We met. I had a couple of deals to show him. He uh, ended up uh, making an offer uh, on one, putting it in an escrow and successfully closing the deal. That buyer would not have been procured by any other um, agent in, uh, in, in the Metroplex because he had a relationship with one person and it was our West Coast agent, you know? And so that's happened more times than I could count over the years. Um, and, and so it's a pretty neat, uh, you know, it's a pretty neat skill. Another thing um, that is happening right now is some people are saying, hey, the multifamily market's uh, in flux at the moment. Um, I think what I'll do is sell my deal and then park my funds into a uh, single tenant, you know, triple net type uh, deal. And so we are the absolute, you know, category killer in that nationwide. We have some of the largest teams in each region of the country in the uh, single tenant side. And so we're able to connect them, um, you know, with, with the right investment sales guy and, um, you know, transition him temporarily from multifamily into retail. And that, that goes uh, vice versa as well. So you know, those are just a couple of things that um, I, I think are real advantages uh, of our shop. But I mean, overall, I think the entrepreneurial spirit from the top down is, is my favorite thing about the firm. It just really lets us uh, go out and, uh, and get creative uh, with our clients and really bring them uh, a lot of services and uh, expertise that, that you don't find everywhere. And that's huge. Um, look, they say the multifamily business is a relationship business all the way, you know, all the way through. And, you know, I'm thinking as you're saying, talking about that, I mean, that plays into that MNET, you know, platform and all the connections that you have across the nation because you have this, you know, um, this common employer that you guys are all working under the same umbrella on. And then people have different relationships with people all over the place. And so, you know, a guy in California who's an agent, you don't know his customer, but he can vouch for his customer. That's right. So because he vouches for his customer, you have confidence that this guy is, is the real deal. 
where if he had just called you on the phone, you may not have had that. that that's that right. hundred percent. You know, you, you know, you feel an obligation to, to, you know, help your, um, your colleague. Right. And, and, uh, if they're calling me and taking the time and saying, Hey, this is a valued client of mine, then obviously we want to make sure right. they're, they're taken care of just like we would want our clients, uh, you know, taken care of. And we've done the same thing. We've had clients that have said, Hey, you know, Nick, Bard, can you get us in, uh, hook us up with your guys in Orlando or hook us up with your guys in Atlanta, uh, or various other markets. And so we, we love making those introductions, um, and getting them hooked up with somebody that, that hopefully can help them. Um, and you know, make, uh, make a, a splash in a new market and uh, brokers like to catch the guys on the front end too. You know, you never know who, who the next big uh, thing's going to be in any market. So it's great to, uh, get to sell guys some of their, uh, their first deals when they're entering into a new space. Yeah. So, you know, for the listener's perspective, you know, what he's talking about there is say you have a syndicator who does a few deals in Dallas and then all of a sudden he, he decides, you know what, I want to go to Jacksonville and start buying deals in Jacksonville, but Nick and Bart are focused on Dallas. Well, if they put a, that syndicator in contact with, their counterpart in Jacksonville that they trust, you know, it's a win-win for the agent in Jacksonville and it's a huge win-win for the syndicator that asked for that, that, that introdu- introduction. So um, that's a huge value. Well, I think it's, I think it's a huge value. And honestly, I think even right now with what's happened in the market in the last month, even the value of that is, is compounded even more because there was no Explain shortage. That. There was no shortage of buyers 30 days ago or 60 days ago. Uh, but all of a sudden, you know, everybody's, you know, the market's tightened up a little and everybody's, um, you know, kind of on hold or, uh, you know, trying to figure out, uh, what's happening out there right now. And so, you know, when you can, uh, when you can be working with somebody that, uh, you know, maybe has their own bank relationship in another area or is a low leverage buyer, we just closed a deal today, um, with a buyer that we met out of California uh, who is a very low leverage buyer and he was a 60% LTV guy and, uh, and, and financed the deal with a bank loan. And, uh, you know, even though he was in escrow when the debt markets were uh, falling out, it didn't matter to him because he had a, a very good bank relationship and, and he wasn't trying to get max leverage. And so again, that's, uh, you know, those type of buyers are, are, are valuable, uh, even more so um, with what we're going through right now um, as, as the market's shifting. So you alluded to kind of this, hey, the market's shifting. Explain that a little bit. Is it, is it due to rising interest rates? Is it due to inflation? Is it due, you know, are people just getting scared? Is it the stock market going down? What, what's causing it, do you think? Yeah, well, I think uh, a few things. One, you know, I would say for the first, maybe 13, 14 years that I, I was doing this, it was, you know, if you're buying a deal and you could get a 10 year Fannie Mae loan or a Freddie Mac loan um, on the deal, then that's just what you did. You put, you put the 10 year agency loan on it. And I think, you know, over the last four or five years, people have started to think and realize as they, they're like, wow, I shattered my, you know, performance projections. I think I'll sell this thing after three years instead of five years. Then um, they're like, oh, wow, I've got a, a loan that's now at a bad leverage point. 
I've run out of interest only. You know, the debt basically didn't match the exit strategy. And so what we saw, you know, within the last few years was people say, hey, maybe I should just put a bridge line on this deal. I'm not likely to get out of this or I'm not likely to hold this deal for more than five years. Probably I'm, I'm going to get out if I can implement my uh, business plan quickly. I'll, I'll probably get out in three. Uh, and so they were putting these, you know, these bridge loans, these debt fund, uh, you know, deals on uh, on their the deals they're buying. And uh, and so that was a total of, of the deals we did last year, 90 percent or more were were, you know, that type of financing. And it's a floating rate interest rate. So all of a sudden, you know, you, you buy a, a floating rate interest rate uh, or floating rate uh you buy a, a cap basically, so your your interest rates capped, uh, and those caps cost nothing. I mean, pennies on the dollar relative to what they are they today. Before, right? yeah, that's right. Before they so didn't cost they, they cost nothing, so that's what everybody was doing. They're just they're like, well, this is great. I have a low rate, and I've managed my exposure, and that's great. And 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 the lender give you a seventy five, eighty percent loan to cost, so you're rolling in all your capex. Life is good, you know. Hey, I'm going to implement my plan. I'm going to sell this thing in three years without a prepayment penalty or without a big prepayment penalty and, you know, rinse and repeat. Well, that all worked great until, you know, interest rates popped here in the last, you know, uh, 60 days, basically. Um, and so what's happened is, um, you know, on a normal deal, a cap rate or a cap rate, not a, a an interest rate cap cost, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 before. And that same cap is five or six hundred thousand now so that that's number one that cost has, has skyrocketed um interest rates themselves have gone up and so if you're buying a deal at a three and a half cap um but putting a four and a half to five percent interest rate loan on the deal guess what that math does not work um so so that's a problem um and on top of that when you have a higher interest rate um then guess what? That means your loan amount is going to go down. So it's kind of a triple whammy. The cost of the interest rate cap has gone up. The actual interest rate itself has gone up and the loan proceeds have gone down. So the only way to make sense out of most of these deals right now is to pay less for them, right? I mean, there's just no fancy financial engineering you can do. Um, you know, the, the only way that most of these deals work is, is to pay less for them or, or if you have the right equity, you know, again, I, I, I fully believe these deals are going to go up in value. I mean, with, again, the, the migration patterns coming into Texas, um, you know, the, the cost of, of homes and honestly, how, how, how much more, you know, the a, home values have been off the charts high here. But now, you know, they're not only off the charts high, but, but the interest rates are up almost 200 basis points if you're trying to buy a home. So I don't even think a lot of people are going to be able to qualify for that anymore. So right. it's just all these things are pushing people to apartments. So I think all the fundamentals are going to be great. Um, I think when we come out of this and however long it takes, people are going to be in the money. But, you know, right now, if you have investors that are saying, hey, I need cash flow, the only way to get cash flow immediately is to pay less. If you have investors that are like, I don't care about cash flow, I want an equity multiple and an IRR. I, I think there's there's going to be some really great deals to to be had, but that's what we're working through right now in the marketplace. Um, and it, it's just I, I've I've been through, 
you know, COVID and I went through the Great Recession, never have I seen it turn as quickly as, as it's turned in the last 30 days. It, it has, it's been a dramatic change and it happened really, really, really quick. That's, that's, that's crazy. I mean, everyone says it's different this time, right? Um, but when, when there is a change in the market, it, it can happen pretty darn quick. Um, but, well, but what's but, interesting about it is that it, it is, it, you know, COVID, when COVID happened, you're like, oh, my goodness, are people going to pay? Like, what's going to happen? Right. Oh, I can't charge late fees. People don't have to pay. I'm waiting on the government. When the government sends this money, is it going to, you know, make it to me or are they just going to keep it? And, you know. There, there were a lot of factors that made you worry about the, the actual performance of the deals. Right now, the performance of the deals is off the charts. I mean, every right. set of financials we're getting, these deals are doing exceptionally well. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that part is very encouraging, but taxes obviously are, are going way up. Um, this year, especially, the, the assessments have been aggressive. Insurance costs are through the roof right now. And you know, interest rates are really high. So th- those are major challenges unrelated to the fundamentals um, of, of actually operating the property. Um, you know, so that, that's what we're contending with. So it's, it's very different than COVID, um, but, but, you know, very challenging in, in a different respect. Yeah. I look, as an operator, I remember when COVID hit, it was like, holy cow, you could never have, you know, forecast that there was no way to plan for that. And there was a worry, like, are people going to pay? And I was really surprised that every month we, we continued to be positive cash flow. Um, you know, it was, yeah, there were, there were tenants that didn't pay and were, or were slow pay, slow pay, but there were, plenty of tenants that were like, you know what, I'm going to pay for food and I'm going to pay for where I live. Mm-hmm. And, and so there were still a lot of tenants that, that rent was one of the first things they were going to pay. Yep. For sure. For sure. I mean, you know, and look, we came out of that much faster than I think anybody expected. Uh, and so I'm, right. I'm hopeful that that'll be the case here. Obviously we have some, some very macroeconomic things we have to get under control and we've printed an absolute insane amount of, of money that's been injected into the economy that, um, you know, it's going it, to, it's, it's going to call, I mean, we've seen it. The inflation is just absolutely off the charts right now. Um, um, so, but again, real estate is a great spot to be qu- at when that happens. So, right. Right. So let me ask you a question. Um, to, for me, this is like the million dollar question, but, um, so Real estate is, you know, always been told that it's a, it's a great inflation hedge, right? And I think about these multifamily deals and if you have, you know, wage inflation, people are making more money, then, you know, it should translate to being able to pay more for rent, okay? So if your rent is going up and say in, that's, you know, but based on inflation, I mean, inflation right now is 8%. I mean, even if it's not at that level, it your rent is going up and that's the top line. And if you fixed your, your debt service, that's the ideal. But even if you didn't fix your debt service and it's floating, that expense is still, you know, less than half of your expenses compared to your rent. So now you've, 
over time, you should have that increased profitability. And that's where I see real estate being a good inflation hedge. The big question, Mark, is, okay, well, if interest rates keep going up, will cap rates end up going up? And if cap rates go up and the exit cap rate on these deals is higher, which one is going to have the bigger impact? The inflationary increase in profitability or the negative impact of maybe having higher cap rates at some point? Yeah, well, I I mean, I think the deals, uh, most of these deals, um, if you implement the right business plan, you're, you would still, even if cap rates rose, you're still going to be in the money because I think there's enough ability to influence NOI. And, you know, I, I saw something today and I, I can't recall um, the exact source, but basically we're, we're, our rents were still projected to increase like 35% over the next five years. Um, you know, and then that's Dallas Fort Worth. So I, I mean, you know, you're talking 7% rent increases a year. And by the way, that's probably mostly organic. So if you still have these deals that you can upgrade and get two or $300 pops, you know, then, then you're, you're, you're talking about even more significant, um, you know, uh, NOI and, and revenue growth uh, than even what, what that, that number projects. But, uh, you know, I, yes, short-term cap rates are going to have to rise if interest rates stay high. I think what I uh, find very hard to believe is that we won't figure out a way to get these interest rates down when things settle. I just, I I feel confident that that's going to be the case, Um, you know, but I will say this, if you look and just do the math, you know, let me ask you, I I don't, I'm putting myself on the spot here, depending on what you say, but (laughs) you know, what what would you say to, you know, an average home and, DFW would be, you know, price-wise would be right now, you know, if you were just throwing a number out there, if somebody was like, hey, I want to go buy just a, a nice home, but nothing crazy over the top, but just a nice home. Yeah, I li- so I live in Prosper, which is north of Frisco, last stop on the tollway, and I, you know, I'd say the average homes here are probably four to 500000 that, that, That's what I would say, four, four to $500,000. Yeah. It'd be hard to find and, much. So if, you, if you're putting 10% down... Right, which is a lot of money. Well, most most loans is twenty percent. Right. right, so you right. have to be you'd be putting down eighty to hundred grand to get into that. that you know, that's, a, that's right. Let's so say if you've got if you've got you know even ten percent for the sake of this, which I, I I don't think most people have, you know, forty to fifty to to a hundred thousand dollars laying around. But let's assume you saved and you had that. Right now, you're interest rates probably going to be if you have perfect credit which most people don't you know it's probably five and a half percent if you don't it's probably north of six percent um and so when you start doing the math your principal interest you know taxes insurance is north of three grand a month you know i mean if you if that's option one and option two is to live in an apartment i mean you've got a lot of runway in apartment rents before you're anywhere close to that um, you know, right. plus you don't have the responsibilities of, um, you know, lawn care and repairs and maintenance, et cetera. So, I mean, there is a massive, massive Delta, uh, between those two numbers. And so I find it hard to believe that we aren't going to figure out a way to get rates down. Um, there's no obvious, easy solution in the near term. 
other than slowing down some of this inflation. And, and but I mean, I think historically speaking, you know, when I when I first started in the business, we used to underwrite six and a half percent interest rates. If I go back and look at the right. very first deals that I was <laughs> underwriting, I'm like, oh man, this is crazy. And I can remember as time went by and they kept going down, down, down. I remember when somebody got their first three percent interest rate that I'd ever heard of. I was like, oh my goodness. And then it's just over over the years, it's just like now I just was sort of expecting it to be in the threes. And 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 so this is a just a massive uh shift the other direction. And and uh so I mean, nobody has a crystal ball um, right now, for sure. I mean, and, and obviously other world events, you know, uh, that are occurring and, and conflicts around the world and, you know, uh, just different crises even here and along the border. And I mean, there's just so many things that, that are having an impact on uh, on what what's happening uh, in the U.S. and in the debt markets that, um, you know, it's hard to say. Um, that what's going to slow it down. But I, I find it hard to believe that we won't get these interest rates under control and get them back down, but there's going to be some pain in the short term. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I don't, I don't think it's talked about a, a lot. And, you know, people talk about, Hey, if we go into a recession, like everybody just thinks it's going to be horrible. Right. But I, th- I think like, okay, if we go into a downturn, if I'm living in California and I lose my job, I'm thinking, where can I live that's more, you know, better cost of living, right? And so I may move to Texas or Arizona or the Carolinas or, you know, one one of these growth markets. So even in a recession, it's possible that, you know, Texas and these other growth markets may continue to see that migration flux. I don't know, um, but that's that's something that I've definitely considered. I, I mean, I, I, the numbers bear that out. I mean, Texas, look how much we're growing and how much we're projected to, to keep growing uh, in the coming, you know, decade. I mean, it's it's millions of people flocking to Texas. Um, so, again, fundamentally, you have to feel good about where we're at. Um, we just have some, uh, you know, unfortunately – you know, it's, it's a variable, but it's, it's the largest part of your capital stack. That's the, the greatest variable right now. And that's, that's um, anytime the place that's providing you with 75% of your money is, is uh, gotten a lot more expensive. It's, it's going to have a, a major impact. And so um, we're going to have to write it out and we'll we're going to, you know, we'll, see we'll, how we'll, 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 we'll always see is if you go back to the last recession, you know, some of the biggest owners, if you were just to start naming names of who are the, the biggest owners in the market right now, they were all pretty active uh, during the last recession or they held on, you know, and, and, and shredded water to get through the last recession um, and, and ended up looking really, really good on the other side of it. So I, I, I think, you know, this is, I don't know if it'll be the, a great reset that everybody's been waiting on for all these years. Um, when we got through COVID, you know, not just unscathed, but that values shot up on the right. quickly on the backside of that. I thought, well, shoot, if, if COVID didn't slow us down, a global pandemic, I'm not sure anything can could slow us down. And obviously, uh, th- this has had an, a major impact. But uh, I I do think it in the grand scheme of things, it'll it will not be a long term um, you know re reset. But I do think in the short term for sure. opportunistic buyers, there could be some some opportunities out there. So let me switch gears on you a little bit. Um, talk about 
one, you know, people are afraid when they first get in, involved in the multifamily world, calling people like you, calling brokers, like, you know, it, they're intimidated by it. Like, how do they build credibility quickly? How do they, you know, um, get the broker to, you know, believe in them and that they could actually close and all those things. So what's your take on talking to new people in the industry and advice to them? Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great question. I mean, um, yeah, I think one of the reasons I love doing brokerage is I just, I love people. Um, and I, I enjoy talking to people and I enjoy hearing people's stories. And, and if this was just about transactions, um, you know, you can certainly do business that way, but to me that, 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 that takes the fun and, and joy out of, out of this. The, so I, you know, I, a, I would, I would certainly tell anybody don't, don't be intimidated to, to call. Um, I, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time and I've sold a lot of people their first deal. And, um, and, and so I don't have any, I don't have any problems uh, with that. Now, you know, of course, you know, you do want to be credible and you, you only get one chance to make a, a first impression. And so I think that's something to be mindful of. Uh, I think some people are really hungry and aggressive and it's easy to kind of get out over your skis a little bit. And, and I would say, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew, slow down, make sure you're doing business the way that, that, uh, you know, you want to be known because word travels fast. I had a, a guy call me today that we just sold a deal to with. And he said, I, I've already been called by a couple of brokers, you know, cause they saw that I bought this deal. And, uh, you know, and he was like, I can't believe how fast word travels. And I'm like, well, there you go. You know, and, and, and your reputation travels even faster, especially if it's a bad one. So, uh, you know, I will say this as brokers, we, we definitely, we, we all know each other and, um, you know, we, we, we definitely look out for each other on that front. You know, nobody wants to, to, you know, waste a bunch of time or, or, or put a, uh, a buyer in who's going to jerk the seller around, et cetera. So reputation travels. Um, one of the things that we've done over the years that, um, that I've really enjoyed and I don't take as big of a role in it, uh, anymore, but I, but I still, uh, am involved in it, uh, you know, to, to varying degrees, depending on the deal is, is our 75 unit and under team. And I, and I think that's always a great spot, um, to, to start off because, you know, you have a deal that's not as large. It's, um, you know, it's, it's again, not more than, you know, you're not biting off more than you can chew. It's a, it's a reasonable size deal. And more than anything else, even if your aspiration is to uh, own something, larger and, and hopefully sooner rather than later, it's a great way to, to, to get your foot in the door. Those deals are not as competitive as the bigger deals. Um, and they're a less sophisticated buyer group. So, um, one of our largest clients, um, we probably did double digit, you know, 75 unit and under deals with, and he's now doing, you know, hundred plus, you know, and I say hundred plus, really two hundred plus unit deals, uh, and we have a fantastic relationship with him, and we know what he is capable of doing, and uh, you know, we've 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 closed a bunch of deals, and so um, that all started with smaller stuff, and has grown into uh, larger stuff as as our confidence in one another has has grown. So um, I, I would say that's that's always a great spot to start, and um, you know, good opportunities, good deals, good buyer pool. Um, you know, and, uh, but, but even if you come well capitalized and are ready to, to bite off on something a little larger, 
I'd say just be coachable, be open to using um, vendors here that we know and trust because, you know, hey, if you're somebody that, that we like, but we're not confident you can get the deal done, but you're using a lender who we know, or you're using a management company we know, um, or you're using an attorney we know, um, those are all things that, that make a, uh, a significant difference because if those people all have confidence in you as a, as a, as a buyer or as a client, then that, that certainly increase our, our level of confidence as well. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great advice. So, and that's the advice that I went with, you know, I went, when I was going after my first syndication deal, I was focused on 60 to a hundred units. Uh, one for a lot of the same reasons you just said, you know, because, you know, the, the senior syndicators that you're competing with are going after hundred unit plus 200 unit plus deals. And so it kind of knocks them out. They're not even looking at those deals. Um, and, it, it, it brings the competition down so that you can get your first deal. The other thing um, that you, you didn't necessarily mention, which I think is, is very important, is partnering with somebody that has experience. You know? And I think that if you do that and you tell the broker that you're, you know, you're going to be partnering, even if you don't name the name yet, you know, that you're going to be partnering with somebody from... Um, you know, a multifamily mentorship group or, or somebody that's bought five deals in, in the DFW Metroplex. Well, now it kind of gives you, it's another team member that is adding credibility to you. hundred um, so. percent. That's a, that's a, that's a great, uh, that's a great addition to, to what I said for sure, because, you know, there's not that much to gain most of the time for that partner. Uh, I mean, if they're, if they're, parts to help bring along somebody else. And uh, that's their primary goal while making a little bit of money. That's great. But they also realize if the deal goes bad, it's also their reputation. So having somebody that that's already in the market that cares about their reputation uh, as a sidekick is, is a great, um, that's a great uh, strategy to just kind of help you get your foot in the door. Absolutely. So talk about, um, if you, I don't know if you have these numbers in your head or not, but like the types of buyers kind of over like the last year, um, maybe characterize between like syndicators, out of state buyers, 1031 buyers, uh, first timers, whatever, what, however you would classify, but maybe, you know, hey, you're seeing this, you know, over the last year, the buyers have shifted from X to Y. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's, uh, hasn't been a crazy shift at least last year. I think, hasn't we, been. I think we did 70, 70 some odd deals last year. I don't remember the exact count, but you know, I think because Dallas has a couple of very large, um, you know, apartment mentorship groups, um, you know, here we, we certainly have a ton of local buyers, uh, local syndicators, um, which is great. Um, you know, there are folks that we see often and, and know well, even before we've, we've had a chance to do a deal with them a lot of times. I, I will say that, you know, I guess one, one trend, and, and, and maybe this is what you're alluding to, is, um, you know, certainly post-COVID with the lockdowns in certain states and, and just some of the, the political um, stuff in, in some of these states has caused some people in, you know, in the West Coast and in New York and Chicago to reevaluate, hey, do I want my money parked here or should I go to a more landlord friendly state? And so we would say, um, 
we, we've seen more of those folks kind of come into the market than we had in the previous couple of years. Um, it used to be that it was very heavy California buyers, you know, in the early part of my career, it was not unusual. We have guys that we would kind of flock to Dallas from the West coast um, and more 1031 guys probably back then. And then that number that as more syndicators have started buying deals then um, you know, and putting these partnerships together, there are, you know, less 1031s out of syndications, obviously, because that's, that's just a, a hard thing to do. So um, I, we have had some 1031 guys um, in the last 12 months come in more than, than probably the, the 24 to 36 months uh, prior. Um, but, but I would say in general, um, you know, our number one buyer is still probably a Texas-based syndicator. Um, it, that, that's probably who our most likely uh, buyer is on, on any given deal. Though the deal that I closed, oh, it's, good, it's the, good to know. But the deal I closed today was was a that I mentioned earlier that the low leverage uh, buyer, he was from California, um, not in a ten thirty one, but just looking to move his money to Texas uh, with with a, a partnership. Uh, and sure. then you know the the one I alluded to earlier that um, uh, the agent on our in our West Coast office, his client that he introduced me to that we plugged into a deal that was a one off you know, California based owner, not a syndicator. Um, so, I mean, those guys have, you know, those guys do come in and buy deals from time to time, but in general, if it's a fully marketed deal, it's probably, um, either a local syndicator who's putting together a group and they want to do something, um, or somebody, if they're out of state that, that probably already owns here and, and is, is trying to add to the portfolio. Oh, that's, that's helpful. Hey, talk about um, perseverance and determination because, like, getting into this space, what I've seen for myself and also for other new people breaking in, it can take a year, year and a half, you know, to get your first deal. And there's a lot of deals that you're involved with that you're put, you know, you're spending a lot of time on, you're putting in offers. And as a broker, you see those people, right? You see them. Oh man, they came in second or third again, you know, and, 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 and you, you know, I would imagine as a broker, some, you, you like some of them and want some of them to, to win at some point, but talk about that perseverance and determination because, um, without it, there's some people that come in and they, they go after a few deals and then they don't win and they kind of peter off. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I could, I won't name names, uh, but uh, there's definitely some groups that, uh, man, they made runs at our deals for uh, feels like multiple years and were close, but but just not the ultimate buyer uh, for a while, and finally, you know, broke through on one, and then, as generally is the case, that ends up leading to other, you know, transactions, and so um, I, I, I do, I do think number one. I think buyers or investors in general uh, underestimate just uh, how how we as brokers probably feel about people constantly not winning deals. It's not something that, that anybody fun. enjoys. No, I, I don't like delivering bad news to people over and over and over and over again. I mean, that's <laughs> my least favorite part uh, of the business. No question about it. So, so that that's, you know, we're rooting for, the people that are continuing to, to pursue our deals and we'd love to help them. 
And uh, honestly, if, if they just, um, you know, persevere and are diligent and, and professional about it. And, uh, you know, I, it's like anything, good things are going to come, you know, to, to the person that's doing the, the right thing in the space. Eventually, you know, somebody's going to call you and you're going to, you're going to win that deal, or we're going to call you and you're going to win that deal. Cause we knew, Hey, man, you just missed out on, on this deal. Um, but Hey, I, I know about this one over here. It's very similar. Why don't you guys try to make a run at this? We want to give you first shot at it. You know, that, that happens all the time. I had that conversation today with somebody, um, uh, that he had missed out on, a, um, a couple of deals we sold recently that were, um, pretty similar to another deal that we, um, are getting ready to list. And, uh, because of the capital markets right now, the owner is willing to sell it, you know, uh, preemptively as, as most transactions are right at the moment. And, uh, I just said, Hey, you know, this one's going to be coming out soon, but you might want to take a look at it now because a, the owner would entertain an offer and B it's very similar to those other deals you offered on that you didn't get. And, uh, and so that, that particular investor was, was excited about that opportunity. So uh, that happens, um, you know, but I, I will say, you know, there's very, very few people that have looked at our deals over the years and offered, you know, multiple times on our deals over the years that it didn't eventually work out in their favor. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, so I would, I would just say stick with it and, and, you know, everybody has to go through that. And, and listen, I, I fully, uh, understand and appreciate how hard it is even just to get to the, the best and final, how much work it takes, uh, to get to the best and final. And you're filling out questionnaires and you've toured the site and you've met with contractors and you've gotten, your debt quotes and you've gotten a debt quote scrubbed multiple times and you got your insurance lined up and I mean, it is a lot of work. And if you're doing that a hundred times a year and you go over a hundred, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's tough. tough. I mean, yeah, it's tough. That's and, tough. And, and, and it happens. And, and so, um, you know, we get it. Uh, we always say on our best and final calls, like, Hey, you know, independent of the final outcome, thank you for being here. And thank you for, for getting to this point. We don't take it lightly because we know how much work it is. So I, I would just say as a broker. And, and, and a syndicator probably doesn't they're hear like, anything. Oh, you're, after, yeah, yeah, I, right. They don't hear anything yeah. after it's not you. Yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> you, keep on, you keep on saying stuff and they don't even hear I, it. I, I mean, I, I think that is probably the case. And, and I, again, <laughs> I would just say that uh, I, I could I could give you a lot of success stories where eventually the perseverance <laughs> paid off. And I would say, I probably couldn't give you many where the perseverance didn't pay off. There's, there's very few that, that have said, I'm just not even going to look at your next deal because I never win it. Most of the time they may not feel optimistic, but uh, they, they, they keep looking and, and eventually it, it works out in their favor. But uh, yeah. And you know what? I know some syndicators that I, I felt like we're on the cusp of like throwing this out, like just getting really frustrated and then they broke through and got their first deal and maybe they partnered with somebody that had had experience and they did, they took a smaller piece on the deal to get in. And then all of a sudden the floodgates opened up and boom, they hit two, three, four, five. Like they just, and, and that I think back to people like that, I'm like, they may have left and not continued. And then once they hit that first one, they just were off to the races. Well, and I, and I will say this, if you find yourself in a spot where you're, you've made several offers and you haven't won anything, um, at some point you probably have to look in the mirror and say, Hey, 
am I doing something wrong? Like what, Hey, Mr. Broker, you know, um, what, what, why didn't I win? Was it just because of price, you know, and, and a lot of times it's because of price, but sometimes it's because of earnest money or, you know, timing or, or, or whatever. Um, but, but, you know, at some point you got to say, Hey, you know, why am I missing out? And if you're constantly, um, you know, too low on price and you might say, Hey, I got to, yeah, maybe I'm a little uncomfortable, but I'm going to have to get a little bit more aggressive on this underwriting because I'm tired of watching people sell these deals five years later. And they've got a two X three X deal on their hand that I passed on for two or 300 K, you know, uh, because I didn't have aggressive enough assumptions or whatever. And, you know, and sometimes I'll say this, sometimes people are not great on the seller buyer interview calls right? Their, their enthusiasm for the deal doesn't come through or vice versa. Sometimes people are fantastic on those calls and the seller's like, you know, Hey, I think all of them will perform, but I really liked, I liked Darren. Darren was a great guy. I want to work with Darren, right? Like that, that, that happens too. So um, at the end of the day, it's never our decision. Um, We're trying to present the seller with outcomes and, and, and we can give them, you know, our, um, you know, background, our history, our recommendation, but, uh, Ultimately, you know, the seller is going to make the decision, but we want to do the best we can to, to help position people as best we can. And if uh, if you're constantly not winning, then I'd say, you know, circle up with the people that you you uh, know in the business and uh, and say, hey, what do I got to do to get over the hump here? Brokers, what do I have to do to get over the hump here? You know, Joe Blow Partner, who owns five deals, you figured it out. What do I have to do to own five deals? And, and you know, be honest with yourself and and, and be coachable and receptive to, to, to doing some things different. That's, that's huge. I mean, listeners, you heard it. I mean, ask, you know, ask what you could do differently. And the other thing is, and you just said it there, like, look, look at the people that are winning the deals, you know, so you lost a deal. Maybe, you know, the people that won the deal, go back to them, ask them, you know, Hey, can I see your underwriting? Maybe they, maybe they'll share it with you. And you can look at the differences and learn from that, you know, for the next time, um, you know, participate as on people's webinars, you know, they, they won the deal and you're on their investor database, you get the invite, maybe you're not looking to passively invest in that deal, but get on the webinar and see how they're pitching the deal, see how they underwrote the deal. And then you learn from that for the next one. Yeah, I, I would just say that, um, you know, when we get to that point in these deals, um, you know, what the seller's really looking for is if I pick you, Mr. Buyer, this deal's done. I can go to sleep at night. I don't have to worry about it. You're going to close. I, you know, so if, if your LOI doesn't convey that uh, and your interaction with the seller doesn't convey that, if you get a chance to talk to the seller and at the end of that call, they aren't like, man, this guy really wants this deal. And you know, if they don't even hear you say, hey, I know you want a smooth closing and, and we're going to be your guys. I promise you, we're going to we're going to be great buyers for you. Um, if they don't feel that way, then then you're probably not, you know, you're probably not going to win the deal. Right. Um, so I, I would just say that's the biggest intangible. I mean, if you're a million less on price, it probably doesn't matter how excited you are about the deal. But right. but assuming, you know, right. we're, you, you're to the point where there's a seller interview call, it's 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 neck and neck. So. Um, just make sure that all of your homework is, um, is reflected, you know, the amount of effort, energy, 
and, and that they know, hey, this deal's important to me, and if you select me, I'll see you at the closing table in 60 days, and it's going to be a really smooth process. So I tell people this, and I've never asked a broker if this actually happens. Oh, boy. So you, tell, you, you tell me, but I tell people like, hey, when you start the process, think about that last meeting between the broker and the seller. And maybe there were 15, 20 offers. Maybe there were six or seven in best and final. And now there's three that are on the table. And I'm like, think of the seller asking the broker, who should I go with? And why is the broker going to sell you over the other two? I don't know if that happens or not. You know, I, I assume there's something like that that happens. It does happen. But, yeah. I mean, again, okay. uh, and, and again, uh, what we're doing in that moment is, is saying, hey, here's what I know about each of the three. So-and-so, you know, has been incredibly thorough. They've asked, you know, lots of questions. They're using vendors that we know. You know, they're, they're you know, they're putting X amount down. They're syndicating out of this group that we've done lots of deals with. Um, this other buyer, we don't know them at all. You know, hopefully they can get the deal done. They, they seem to like, you know, those are the kind of things the sellers want to know. And again, you know, I know those questionnaires um, that, that buyers fill out can be a little bit tedious and time consuming. But I mean, and I look at that as that's your, your chance to shine, right? If you've done all the homework and you've got a detailed budget and CapEx budget and renovation budget, and you know you've budgeted for surprises, make sure that that shines through. Like those are, that's what the seller really cares about, right? Um, and, and as a broker, I don't want to have egg on my face. If I tell you, hey, I really feel strongly about this buyer and they don't perform, you know, I don't look good. I, I you know, I've, I've, you don't look good and you don't get your commission. Right. And, you I, know, you both. Know, both and, you and know? if we have to start all so, over with the next buyer, that next buyer may have moved on, right? Or, or they may right. want to lower their price. Because, you know, the, the deal's coming back around and they feel like they've got the leverage. So, you know, sometimes, you know, for the inexperienced guy, that's maybe a strike against you, right? You're a riskier choice, you know, for the broker to recommend or for the seller to choose. And the seller has his own partners to answer to. So he doesn't want to look bad either. So you've got but to that, convey. That's the point is like, think about early on how you can convince, overcome the fact, you know, that you're, you're a first time buyer. Right. That's right. So somehow you have to overcome that. That's right. right? And to because your to some... your point earlier, you bring in a, a a higher powered partner with a better resume, and right. you you do this deal. And yeah, maybe you don't make as much because you have a partner in. But guess what? Now the next time you go buy your next deal, you're an experienced owner. Well, I own this deal, you know, and 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 the person doesn't care that you own that deal with a partner. All they know is you own that deal, you know. And so, right. So I, exactly. I just I, I think play the long game, right? We're not, we're not trying to do one transaction. We play the long game as brokers all the time on our team. If you're working with us, we're not treating you like a transaction. We're treating you like a friend that we want to be successful and we want to do lots of business with, uh, in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years. And I've been at this now for 18 plus years. You know, I've got a lot of clients that I've done a lot of deals with and that, and that's why. So um, I, I, and I could attest to that. I can, I could attest to that. That's the way I was treated. Well, so I, I really that. appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, um, you guys have accomplished so much that DFW is like the heart of, you know, what's your next big stretch goal after this? I mean, like, how do you, where do you go from here? 
Yeah, well, it's it's, it's interesting. I mean, um, I think first of all, the way I approach anything that I ever do is is uh, you know I'm trying. I'm not watching the highlight film. I'm watching the the tackles that I missed. Right, like how can I do better than what I'm doing right now? So, in addition to you know growing the team um, and and all that, that's great. But um, you know, let's let's be the best version of of ourselves that we can be first and foremost, right? We all have areas that that we're not as strong in that we can get better in, and so so I think that's the first step for us is we're figuring. You know, as long as I've been doing this, I'm still figuring out you know things that that you know. Oh well, I did this a certain way for 15 years, but this new way is working much better. Or hey, I see this other guy that's very successful over here you know, and he's selling industrial buildings, but he does this. And so I think those are all things that we're constantly literally evaluating on a daily basis. I think uh, the second part is we're, you know, we're trying to um, really put ourselves in the shoes of our clients. Um, and so again, like your, your deal is an example, you know, we, we want to be as a part of that deal, you know, from the time we sell it to you and hopefully get to bring it full cycle for you on the back end and then, you know, keep that momentum going. So we, that's something that over the years, we want to keep growing with our clients. What we see our clients telling us over and over right now is they want um, to buy bigger deals. They want to buy nicer deals. And so we're, you know, doing more and more of that. And so I think moving forward, um, we, we want to keep doing what we've always done, which is workforce housing. You know, that's our bread and butter, but, um, you know, we're also trying to find ways to get our clients into some of these nicer, uh, newer assets. Um, we've had some success with that on uh, the periphery. You know, uh, we did a deal recently in Van Alstine. We did a deal in Sanger. We did a deal in Weatherford. Um, so we're we're doing deals, you know, on the outskirts of the Metroplex. We've done some uh, some deals in secondary and tertiary markets that are nicer, newer deals. Our secondary and tertiary market team is growing very rapidly. So I think there's a, a tremendous opportunity there. Um, I will say this, I bought a deal in Oklahoma uh, after COVID uh, that's gone really, really well. But um, I think one of the things that I like about that, that particular area, it doesn't maybe have the growth. It's not as sexy as, as DFW is, but your taxes, you don't have to cringe when you get the, the tax assessment okay. in the mail where you're, right. you're, you're like, Oh, I hope I don't get killed with taxes this year. And Oh, I'm about to start this long process. It's a disclosure state. They know what you paid for it. You know, you're in, in their tax rates, much, much, much cheaper. So that's been kind of a, a, a nice change of pace, uh, and a, and a nice, uh, opportunity. Uh, and, and I'll tell you this, as much as we say, it's not a, a big growth market like DFW is, um, or not, not to the level DFW is, uh, you know, we've, we've taken revenue up on a 158 unit deal by over 50,000 a month in less than 24 months. So, uh, wow. I mean, it's, it, we've, we've had tremendous success really growing rents there and, and, and managing the deal much better than it was, was managed before. And we've, we've, uh, we've literally gone from, 77,000 a month in collections to, you know, really like north of 130. I think we'll be a little north of 130 this month. That's a, that's unbelievable. Yeah. There's, I've heard mixed reviews about people going into the different 
markets. You, know, some people have, you, you have, have to have done right very team. well. Yeah. Right. And some people have struggled, you know, because they looked at it kind of like a DFW deal in a different market. That, that right. didn't work out that way. Yeah. No, that's, I think um, the team is super important. Um, but I will say this, you can find a lot more deals that are really mismanaged in some of those markets. You can find a lot of deals right. that haven't had much of an upgrade program uh, done in those markets. The deals are much cheaper in those markets. The deals are less competitive in those markets, and uh, and the debt is really pretty similar, um, you know. And so, anyway, I just I just think as people are saying, hey, what's a, what's an alternative to DFW? It's it's um, you know it's worth pursuing, and and you know I, I I could tell you you know plenty of people that have you know had had deals that didn't go as good as they wanted in, in DFW too, right? So I think a lot of times it comes down to your team. And, uh, and your plan. And if you have a bad plan and a bad team and a great market, you know, you could still have a bad deal. Um, and if you have a, a, a bad team and, uh, and a bad market, yeah, you can have a bad deal up there too. But, uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, I, I just, I just think that the, uh, the taxes, um, have been a, a really nice, uh, welcome relief up there. And so that's, that's just been something kind of interesting. We've got a, a handful of deals up there right now that I think, uh, uh, have, have got uh, some eyeballs on them that are, that are looking and seeing that same thing. So anyway, I mean, I think our biggest goal is just continue to grow with our clients, um, and, um, and continue to do what we're doing, but, but just do it better than, than we did it yesterday. Fantastic. What do you, what do you like to do outside of work for fun? I've se- I've seen you on the slopes. I, I definitely like to ski. We, you and I have played some golf together. We, play, we played golf That's together. Right. So That's I know right. you golf. I, I like to golf. Right. I like to ski. Honestly, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I, uh, love to, uh, disciple mentor young married couples so that's something that that oh, oh uh, really 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 that. fun that, that we get from your, from your church yeah or? from our church so that awesome that's uh that's something that we really uh have enjoyed doing love to travel and i would say the majority of our time is is spent on weekends doing doing kid stuff you know baseball tournaments basketball tournaments volleyball um you know you you name it so um that's that's a that's a blessing it's a joy uh, for us, uh, our kids are, are, are lots of fun. And, um, and so we love to, to just get to be mom and dad, uh, and, and enjoy all that that, uh, entails on, on the weekends. And, and I say on the weekends and dang there every night of the week as well. So, uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's keeping us busy, but, uh, it, it flies by too. So we're, hey, the, it, it does, it flies by. I've got two college age kids. So I get, I get to test the fact that it does fly by. Well, um, well, and I can also tell you, I know one other area that you and I, uh, can relate in is, is I, I, I love Texas A&M. Uh, so, I, uh, I'm very, yeah, my very, son goes uh, there. I'm very into he, Aggie he, sports, he, Aggie football, Aggie baseball, Aggie basketball. So, well, they're doing good they, in baseball right now, right? Are. You know, they so, are. um, so yeah, it's it's a weird place, man. People go down there, they drink the Kool Aid, and and, and they're right. just sucked in. Yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> Hey, um, well, I appreciate you coming on. Hey, listeners, if you, you know, look, if you're looking in DFW, I'm t- you're, you're listening to one of the top brokers in DFW, you know, call him, call his team. And, and, um, I've been very, very, very happy with the, uh, not only the professionalism and, you know, helping me win a first deal and also exiting a deal, but also Look, you could tell that they care about people, you know, and and that makes a big difference. So 
It's a relationship business. Um, This is a good relationship to have. I appreciate you coming on. Listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.